Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Music and Spinner.com, where you can get free MP3s, exclusive interviews, and more. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 226 for December 10th, 2009. Listener feedback number 81. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by GoToAssist Express, the easy way to provide instant tech support to your customers remotely. Support smarter with GoToAssist Express. For a free 30-day trial, go to gotoassist.com slash security. And by the new voice-activated sync, featuring hands-free calling, music search, and turn-by-turn navigation. Available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. For more details, visit SyncMyRidePodcast.com. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your privacy and security online with the guru of privacy and security, our very own Steve Gibson. Steve, it's great to see you once again from GRC.com. Glad to be with you, Leo. We've got uh, a Q&A episode, our 81st one, with some security news, some, a little bit of a rata. I have, a, I have an interesting spin-right story from the future. This has been <laughs> sent back from the future, uh, so I thought that was you know, a fun thing to share. And uh, we've got the, our Q&A. I love that idea. The future. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, let's see. Um, let me uh, start up our... Twitter and our friend feed room. For those who uh, watch live, you can participate kind of as we go. We we start a room on friend feed. In fact, we we start conversations for all our shows, and we're going to start, Steve. And you, I don't think you want to do this, but we could do it. Uh, we'll start broadcasting using something called Talkin. We tried it last night; it worked really well. Where people can call in, listen live, and call in live. We won't do that to you because I know Steve is unlike the other show hosts. He actually likes to think about his answers, do some research, prepare them. Uh, unlike the rest of us who just kind of make it up as we go. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they could ask me what kind of shoes I like, but <laughs> you would know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the ones I'm wearing are fine, but and, and I don't yeah. want I want I don't want to say that Steve doesn't know the answer. He does, uh, but he wants to really. I think Steve really takes uh, uh, real pride in getting it right as best as he can. Well, and there are certainly questions that I get when I'm going through the mailbag where I'm thinking, oh, that's a good question. You know, and I sort of, I know the overview, but I want to get all the details right. Right. And so, you know, it just, I think it works much better to, for, for there to be some, some buffering. So. Well, and also, um, you know, I find that, and I think, I guess you're saying this too, that uh, from doing the radio show and answering questions in general, I learn so much. It's a great way to stay up uh, on this stuff is having to research it, having to, Look it up, not knowing. Well, from the top and of and the industry is of a size now that someone says. So, what do you think about the Jabberwocky version three point two updates? Yeah. I get that, that all the time. It's like, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't think yep. anything about it. When I when Dvorak and I started doing Never this in the before. early nineties, and it was you know DOS three point three, maybe it was DOS five, and it was Windows three zero. You could kind of know everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you install the OS on your computer, and there's five files. Yeah, you're done. It's like, okay. 
I know what each of those is for. And there wasn't even really the internet to talk about at that time. Uh, you know, maybe it was kind of a research thing. Some people knew about it, but it wasn't uh, something people called the radio show and asked about. That changed, yeah. too. So today, questions and answers. Indeed. We have uh, questions and answers number 81. We're going to also give you, as always, uh, security news and, uh, and if, if any, errata or comments from previous shows. Before we get into that, though, may I mention our friends at uh, Citrix, the folks who do that great product we call Go to Assist. This is a good product for people who listen to this show because chances are, if you listen to this show, you are responsible for your family's tech support. Am I right? You're the go-to guy or gal who your family says, um, why does my computer take 27 minutes to boot? And you know that sinking feeling you get when, you, when, they, get, <laughs> when they ask that question and you go, I know exactly why. I did not want to deal with this. This is going to take all night. So let me tell you about something called Go to Assist Express. Perfect timing for the holidays. Before you go home for the holidays, before you face that spyware-laden machine, fire up Go to Assist Express. Take a look at what what's on there. You can even move uh, files over, like malware bytes or uh, you know security essentials, whatever it is they need. You can kind of get at least a sense of what you're going to be facing, so you know what disks to bring, or maybe you know just to bring a whole new hard drive and throw. <laughs> <laughs> darn thing out go to assist express is free for the next 30 days and that's even better so this is perfect for the holidays go to go to assist.com slash security it's using of course citrus's uh, citrix's amazing remote access technology by the way mac or pc and you can m maintain a mac from a pc maintain a pc from a mac mac to mac or pc to pc so it, it's completely agnostic about operating system you can see what operating systems are running see what security software and any other stuff that's running in the background so you know exactly what you're dealing with you can copy files as i said from one to the other you can even do unattended sessions so aunt judy doesn't have to be up for you to fix her system you do eight sessions at once if you've got a big family but if you're a Pro, if you're an IT professional, this is a this is a boon because you know you start installing one, a scan on another, and you can move it on to the third. You don't have to sit and wait around. I want you to try it free for 30 days. Go right now to g o t o. Go to assist a s s i s t dot com. I spell it out because I know geeks are not notorious for their good spelling. Go to assist dot com slash security. I think you know how to spell that, and you can try it free for 30 days. Give it a shot. I know you'll love it. I use it all the time. Like mom. Keep saying, when are we doing another go to assist session? Go to assist express. Thank you, Citrix, for your support. Any, uh, what do you want to start with, errata or news? News, I guess, huh? News, yeah. Um, well, this is uh, just uh, the podcast following the standard second Tuesday of the month. So Microsoft has on again queue released a batch of updates. There were 11 things that they fixed. Um, none of them are particularly notable there, so I'm not going to go into any great detail. Um, the, the good news is that they did fix, as we were projecting and hoping they would, that bad zero-day vulnerability in Internet Explorer, which we discussed at length. It was either last week or the week before. And I, was, I remember saying at the time, I hoped that they would have time to fix this because it was being actively exploited on the net. There were um, uh, plenty of documentation about how to do it, and people were getting hurt by it. So that was fixed. So I just wanted to mention that we had passed through um, another second Tuesday of the month and to encourage people to keep themselves up to date as always do they put uh, out they uh, like you can look up patch tuesday and what was patched 
for yes, this Patch uh, Tuesday. Yes, it, they have a, they have a, a page or? for essentially for December '09. Um, all of them had, except one. Actually, there was an ATL com vulnerability that wasn't high exploitability. Because remember, they, they they now associate each of these with an exploitability index, which is. You know, yes, there's a problem, and then Microsoft rates how likely they think it is to actually be exploited. And it's like, okay, well, fine. So, you know, these were all, you know, definitely things you want to get patched because Microsoft was saying, yeah, there's probably going to be exploits created from these. There's quite a few, but not a, not a huge one uh, like last month. Yes, not a record-breaking one. Yeah. So, so that's good. Um, there's an interesting trend that has just recently surfaced, uh, which is really good, which is voting systems are beginning to swing open to open source rather than closed. Yay! Uh, yes, that's just such good news. There's a there's a an open source digital voting foundation, the OSDV. Um, that has an eight-year timeline, because like a roadmap, uh, during which they're going to produce a comprehensive, publicly owned, open source, f- complete electronic voting system from registration all the way through election management and vote tallying. Um, they've they've got a good team that are that are putting this thing together. Um, they've released. The, the event was that they released sort of a, a preliminary blob of code to say, you know, here's a sample of what we're going to be doing. And then what was really interesting was that just five days after that, one of the most notoriously problematic closed source companies, that is Sequoia, that's had all kinds of problems with its voting systems, they announced that they were going to go open source um and that wow, by that's fantastic yes, which is really good news and in now fact, why is open source just maybe say briefly why why that's a good thing well for something like this i, I don't think i'm not i don't necessarily believe that that having something that, that having something open source instantly means that it's going to be safer but open source which is actively scrutinized yes is arguably dramatically safer. Well, at least you know what's going on. Yes, and, and that's the key. So, you know, so the fact that something is open source, if it's open and no one ever looks at it, well, it doesn't help you any. But if it if it if it being if in being open, it allows and and experts do take advantage of the fact that it's open, then you're in good shape. Now, Sequoia, for example, um they threatened to sue um, Lee Felton and his friends at Princeton if, in response to a court order where Princeton was uh, was asked to analyze these machines, if they did so, then Sequoia said, we're going to sue you. Oh. So, I mean... Oh. The, the, that's could that's argue, exactly the opposite of open. <laughs> yeah, that's like, you, don't touch our stuff. You could argue that, like, you know, they're like the poster child of right. of the wrong way to do this. Hiding saying it. that everything is proprietary and it's all closed and just trust us. Yet when when 
when the results of their machinery have been looked at closely, there have been discrepancies found. And they've said, oh, it must have been a static discharge. <laughs> or, I'm sorry. Or No, I'm not kidding. I can't, I'm like, sorry. You know, like vote tallies didn't tally. Oh, well, Ooh. it's an operator error or a static discharge. Yes. And it's like, okay, well, how are we supposed to trust these people? So, I think I you're mean, supposed to wear wrist bracelets when you vote. <laughs> so, so, so it's really, really good that, first of all, that there is this open source digital voting foundation. The idea will be that they'll produce an open source system because it exists and many people care. Lots of smart people will study the source and and say, hey, as far as I can tell, they've done like all my hot buttons have been like taken care of here. Now, it's certainly the case that something can still be missed, but it's much better to have many eyeballs looking at it than not. So, so Sequoia doing this demonstrates another step forward. And, and in the case of the OSDV, this Open Source Digital Voting Foundation, they're going to freely license the result of this project to machine makers and and um um and others who have a some application for it and i'm sure the license will 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 include some things you know some constraints on well look we're giving this to you for you to use but you can't just go screwing around with it you know you've got to use it as is and if you make changes then there'll have to be some sort of review process blah 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 but you know the idea being that the value added will no longer be this intellectual property which is so prone to mistakes instead the value added and there's still things that people you know the companies can do to add value will be in the packaging and the production and the deployment and you know and all the bells and whistles which will allow them to have product differentiation it just won't be that there will be any value that is any commercial value in secret intellectual property in fact you could argue as as more companies take this approach those that have main that are trying to maintain closed systems will then well, have they'll, less they'll, they'll end up having a hard time convincing yeah. any, anyone to buy their stuff let's hope so anyway yeah. so good. Well, it's really really a good, good news. news yeah 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 now on the bad news front <laughs> for our listeners in the uk and we know we have many uh zdnet uh, UK reported the news that the major ISP Virgin Media is about has announced formally that they are about to employ deep packet inspection to anonymously scan their customers' data, everything going to and from their customers without their consent. Um, they're well. At least they're, they're telling them that. Well, yeah, well, they're telling the world. Um, the world's not happy, as you can imagine. What they're saying is that they're wanting to assess anonymously how much illegal copyrighted file sharing is transiting their system. So they're using deep packet inspection to look at the, at the, at the data transactions to their customers. The top level is they, they check to see whether the protocol is any of the known notorious file sharing protocols. And if so, then they will 
go deeper into the packets and look to see whether that 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 flow is apparently copyrighted data. Now they're saying that all of this is done anonymously. That the equipment that's been that's been installed and they're getting ready to turn on it strips the IP address of the customer out of the packet. They're they're not attempting and intending at, at, at this point to to do anything more than just get some sense for how much of this is going on. So I don't know I, it's it's to me this feels like the beginning of something worse, but. We'll have to see, and it, it and you know apparently their their public acknowledgement of this is not the sort of thing that they think is really going to be great PR for them. But they must have felt that it was worth doing it, and that they certainly could not do it secretly because it would it would come out as these things always do, and then they would look really bad for having done it um, in secret. So anyway. Uh, a little bit troubling, but I'm glad they, you know, they at least had the sense to, to to publish it. But you're right. I mean, that's not. It's it's better than nothing. Hey, by well, the way, it, I, I noticed you're wearing the hacker shirt. I I don't know. Uh, I have a no cup now, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, no. So it just says N O period. Yeah. Look. See. Oh, Can you cool. see it? Oh, you you don't. That's right. It just says N O period. It's from the same people. Think actually, a couple of guys from the uh, Argonne National Labs in uh, Illinois came by, Tom and Steve, and they brought me. Uh, there's no mug, obviously, security now <laughs> listening. So thank you, Thomas, Steve. Now, Steve and I both say no. Uh, no. 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 Um, I ran across an interesting page that showed, uh, and this is in our errata uh, topic, uh, that showed the current demographic breakdown of web clients on the net by operating system so not the tip you know the traditional ie versus firefox but you know what percentage of windows xp is on the net and what i found interesting was that today xp has 84 percent i'm sorry no sorry 64 percent of of the os vista is at 23 Mac is at 5.12, Windows 7 at 3.77, Linux at 1%, Windows 2000 still out there, 0.62%, and the iPhone is 0.54%, with miscellaneous others at 1%. So summing up the various Windows, XP, Vista, Windows 7, and Windows 2000, um, Windows, any Windows, is at 91.26% with Mac at 5 and then Linux at 1. Wow. So still very skewed toward Windows. Um, and, but those numbers are certainly, you know, Windows numbers are falling. Mac is rising. Linux is rising. Um, but uh, they certainly have a ways to go. There's some, you know problems as you can imagine with the particular methodology and how the uh, browsers identify themselves but i think in general that's the the correct proportion yeah yeah and uh an interesting uh report that was sent back from the future by uh jake and philip <laughs> who need to remain anonymous they explain because they're with the time correction team um uh the subject of the email that caught my eye was spin saves the future and they write, Dear Steve, my team and I 
We'd like to express our heartfelt appreciation for Spinrite, your fine, life-saving product. We've all become tremendous fans of Spinrite 12. Of course, I'm only 12? Six. Wait a minute, Spin- you're up to 6. Yeah, I'm at Spinrite 6. So, and given... Oh, oh the, the, these, these the, people are calling from Alderan. Okay, that's fine, I understand. Essentially, yes. <laughs> uh, g- you know, given the fact that I... I release major version updates very infrequently. <laughs> 12 is going to be a long 12 is time. out there a ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they continue your software saved our lives. Here's what happened. My team was sent on a mission to prevent some unfortunate results of the bad science presented in the movie 2012. Oh boy. <laughs> While traveling too close to the sun, an unexpected solar flare. And I was thinking, okay, are there, are there any expected solar flares? But, you know, I guess if you're a time traveler, you, you could know. have. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. So one caught them by surprise. An unexpected solar flare hit our craft, resulting in a near-complete loss of data from every system on board. This caused our reentry into the Earth's atmosphere to be very far off course. At this time, I would like to apologize to the people of Utah, I cannot imagine the fright our re-entry must have given everyone there. Please accept our sincere apology. Anyway, once we landed, if you may call it that, we set about restoring our data. We popped in Spinrite version 12, and in a mere three days' time, all of the data from our craft was back, exactly as it had been prior to the above-mentioned unpleasantness. Now, now this does give me pause, Lee, to think that maybe... Spinning magnetic hard drives are not as short lived as I was as I was. They concerned. might survive. Yeah, apparently SSDs didn't take over the future. You'll invent some way to, de- to you know to, to ah, save SSDs, but he doesn't specify what kind of uh, technology Spinrite version twelve has recovered. So he says you really saved our pork product, parens bacon, as they say in your time. Steve, you really are a magician, and although we really shouldn't tell you this. CryptoLink version 3 is going to rock the world. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Please keep up your good work. Sincerely, Time Correction Team XVI. I love it. Somebody reads a little too much science fiction. Hey, it's, uh, they have to read a lot to keep up with me. So <laughs> I'm reading uh, the new uh, Jerry Porn, not new, the new recording of Jerry Pornell's Moat in God's Eye, which oh, uh, Audible just released. One of my favorite, all-time favorite books. I love uh, the genre, you know, first contact genre. You know what? I had, I've never read this one before, which is fun. What? You've never read the Moat? Isn't that weird? No. Oh, Leo, it's got a surprise. It's such a good surprise. Well, That's I love Larry Niven, so. Yes, yeah. and when Levitt, Le- Niven and Pornell get together, it's it's great it's that that's the only problem with that book is that is there it's that you don't know something which you will never forget once you learn oh, it i love it <laughs> and it makes it a little more difficult to reread it um and i'm a big book rereader oh, well, so I'm lucky I, then. I, i've never read it so i'm like i'm in yeah. here go, go slow don't don't read it overnight because well, that's then what's nice like, about oh, audible no that's over. what's nice about audible you really kind of can relish it that you know jerry told me uh when he was on twit uh, a couple of weeks ago um that the the way they work together is jerry is the plotter he said you know i'm better at plotting than larry is and larry's better at writing than i am so jerry mm-hmm. does the plotting and niven does the writing for the and most fill, part fills in all of the plot specifics right Interesting. So that and so the you know you can credit Jerry Pornell with the twist. 
Uh, yeah, oh, I'm now good I'm excited. Point. Oh, I'm now very excited. good. I, point. I cannot wait. <laughs> oh. Anyway, wait till, uh, you, wait till you learn the secret. Oh, don't know. Okay, no, no, not, I'm not no saying spoilers. Anything. Um, but one of the things I really like about it, I was a big fan, still am a big fan of the uh, Patrick O'Brien, um, you know, eight nineteenth century seafaring novels. Uh, and this, and what's funny is the 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 future in the future, and this takes place, I think, in the year three thousand. Um, the navy. The, the you know the spacers are like the navy. It's exactly the same kind of thing. They have stewards who bring. Co- I mean, it's just like they're at sea. And I obviously that was a con- an intentional yeah. parallel done by uh, Larry and uh, Dave uh, uh, Jerry. And I think it just really it works so well. It's really really great. So anyway, I just I don't know why I mentioned that, but uh, I'm reading that right now. Hey, we're going to get to uh, our questions. We've got some great ones for you, including. At the very end, of course, we save uh, the good stuff. The brilliant Disneyland authentication solution of the week. We, I've been hearing from a lot of Disneyland folks about this uh, system, by the way. Yep, I have too. There was a, there was a surprising number of, 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 of Disney notes in the last mailbag. Yeah, so. A lot of Disney folks listen to us. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about securing your enterprise with the folks at Astaro. Astaro is, uh, you know, we've been talking about it, I think, since practically we began this show. They've been with us longer than anybody. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think they were our first advertiser on the network. I think they were. I yep. think that Security Now um, had the first the first sponsor of any. Isn't that great? I just, yeah, it's cool. I just love it. They're still with us. They're the greatest. And we know that a lot of you use the Astaro Security Gateway, and we want to tell the rest of you, why aren't you using the Astaro Security Gateway? It is a fantastic UTM, Unified Threat Management System, beautiful solid steel box that uh, that just has everything you need in it. Of course, an industrial strength firewall with all the, you know, all the buzzword compliant SPI and everything. But it also has intrusion protection, Three kinds of content filtering, three antiviruses, complete VPN capabilities. This is nice because you can implement VPN with a, with a touch of a switch, basically, that gives you the best of VPN, including uh, VPN over IPsec, L2TP over IPsec, and PPTP tunneling across SSL. Uh, so it's very easy to use. You get open PGP and S-Mine email encryption, decryption, and digital signing automatically. That's with the new Astaro version 7. Uh, optimized for VMware. It's VMware ready. I could just go on and on. I want you to give it a try. There is a VMware appliance you can try, but the best thing to do is call 877, the number 4 Astaro, and get a demo unit that you could play with for free yourself in your business. Or uh, visit astaro.com and find out more if you're outside the U.S. But inside the U.S., toll free, 877, the number 4 A-S-T-A-R-O. And non-commercial users, yes, you can download Astaro V7 from the website, astaro.com slash security now, or use a VMware appliance if you want to take a look at the software alone. But really, it's the hardware and software together that makes such an incredible box. Among other things, as you grow, they can grow with as many as 10 Astaro security gateways uh, and their built-in load balancing. It's just great. Give it a try. Secure yourself. Give yourself some peace of mind with Astaro. The Astaro Security Gateway. A-S-T-A-R-O.com. Call 877, the number 4 Astaro, to get an Astaro Security Gateway in your office. And we thank Astaro for their long time, going on four years now, support of Security Now. All right, Steve, are you ready for a question or two? Ready, yeah. Ready, Eddie. Question one from Chris in Las Vegas, Nevada. He's thinking about ARP. ARP. 
Steve, Windows throws an error when it receives an ARP response for the same... Okay, here we go. Get ready. <laughs> Buckle in. Windows throws an error when it receives an ARP response for the, from an IP address it's trying to use itself, saying another device has the same IP on the LAN. We've all seen this. If you use static IP addresses, for instance, it'll say, well, there's another... You know, another another device in the land with the same IP address. So wouldn't it be trivial to have the stack throw an error if it received multiple responses for the same IP address from different MAC addresses? We're trying to avoid ARP spoofing here. It could also just be a small program running that watches for such anomalies and notifies a user. Shouldn't you know? It should always be if it's one IP address, the same MAC address. The only real downside I can see is in cases of sites using something like link aggregation or something or bonding. In that case, you might get a false positive. What do you think? That's an interesting idea. Well, it's a great idea. And um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that one of the things I was going to toss into CryptoLink, because it's so easy to do, exactly as Chris says, is is just watch the land traffic for anything suspicious. And so, for example, another example of something suspicious would be if an IP to... MAC address mapping appears to change. Now that would happen if you change if you deliberately manually change the IP address on some machine on your network. But that's normally not happening. So but it would be an indication of someone coming in and beginning to spoof ARP traffic and mess up the IP to MAC address mapping. So Chris is completely right. It would be a, it's a trivial thing to do, a simple little program. You know, it's, it's not, for example, in Windows, mostly because people wouldn't know what to do with it. You, you, it had the, the idea of an IP address collision had to be in Windows. And as you say, Leah, we've all seen this. It's in Windows and Mac and Linux and, right. you know, Unix, all the OSs where, where they detect more than they they detect some other device that is responding to to a to a MAC address query for the same IP that they have, and it's like, wait a minute! And again, it's all these OSs detected and alert the user because you cannot have just by definition two devices with the same IP address on the same LAN. That would just cause confusion. Technically, electrically, it's possible, but we've just deci- we've decided. Well, we're not going to we're, we're going to disallow that because you know who would who is supposed to be the recipient of the traffic. So, so in typical sort of Microsoft um, uh, approach, they you know how would you present a, a warning to the user saying? Oh, we believe that ARP spoofing may be occurring on your network. It's like, okay, well, you're never going to see a note like that from Microsoft. Um, <laughs> you, so it makes sense for it to be an add-on utility or something that an expert user would know how to interpret. And, and another example would be it, if, it, if, it, if this utility were to remember the MAC address of the gateway persistently so that is like you know make a little entry in the registry and and then notify you if at any time in the future the mac address for the gateway appears to change because that's classic man in the middle arp 
spoofing uh, where where somebody else you know spoofs the gateway um, ARP response in order to get themselves knitted in the middle. Well, I mean, I'd love to know if without me doing anything, the MAC address for my gateway changes because there's absolutely no reason it ever should. Or if I get the notice after just having reconfigured my network, I go, oh, yeah, of course. Right, I just right. made a change. That's, I'm, I'm expecting that. But, you know, so Chris is absolutely right. Uh, you know, we will see that in CryptoLink. Um, maybe I'll spin out a little, you know, freebie that does that just while I'm, while I'm at it because it would be simple to do and um, it makes a lot of sense. And some uh, routers, I'm being told by uh, people in our chat room, do this. Uh, and that kind of thing, and they warn about that kind of thing. So it's, yeah, it's... I've um, never seen that. Uh, Moss Waltberg saying Cisco and HP switches have built-in ARP spoofing protection. I don't know if they use that technique for it. Okay, yeah, that, that would be a different approach, where okay. for, for they would be resistant, for example. One of the games that people have played historically is, it used to be that in the old trusting days of the internet, a a switch or router or anything actually building a an arp table that maps ips to mac addresses they would simply accept as the truth any arp response that they saw on the wire you know arp arp um arp traffic is broadcasted and and network address or network interface cards see all the traffic even if they don't accept it all in the case that they're on, for example, on, on a hub, as we used to use in the old days. And so it's possible for a third party on the network to see other devices getting themselves registered on the net using ARP and just say, oh, I might as well add that information to my own local ARP table in case I ever need to talk to any of those guys. I already know their MAC address, so I don't have to go ask them, you know, go through the whole ARP protocol broadcast and, and response to get that. In, in other words, they used to just accept all the traffic on the network and, and store it. Well, that's absolutely wide open for exploitation because it means that spoofing is trivial. Right. All you do is you just send out malicious art packets and everybody on the network will accept them <laughs> as gospel. <laughs> and so one of the things, you know, so there are many things you can do. For example, you would never accept an art reply unless you were expecting one. That is only when you had a pending request out and we're expecting a reply. Would would you um, would would you take it? And in any kind of a race condition, you could do things like if you got two different replies, you could say, "Ah, I'm thinking I'm going to stay with who I believe um, from the previous um, response rather than some newcomer uh, that's different." So you could certainly see plenty of strategies for putting filters up and and preventing this kind of stuff are being just so wide open. Right. Question two, Peter Yaros or Jaros from uh, Brooklyn, New York. He has a new approach to defeating whole disk encryption and other in-memory key schemes. We talked a little bit about that. Never unplug the machine. <laughs> Steal the computer without ever turning off the power or let the machine go to sleep. How would you do that? He actually gives us uh, a link to Wibetech, W-I-E-B-E-T-E-C-H 
com, and I guess it's I'm guessing it's some sort of battery battery backup. Yeah, it says transport a live computer without shutting it down. No other product performs this patent pending feat. It's a, a hot plug device, obviously just a battery, big old battery you plug the computer into and then take it with you. Uh, and by the way, it says right here, how to circumvent whole disk encryption. <laughs> uh, okay, so it actually is more clever than that. It's, oh, really? It's very cool. Um, D- w- my- W-I-E-B-E-T-E-C-H, if you want to see this, dot com. Um, it, it, okay, so the computer's plugged in. Okay, well, so you can't ever power it down, yet it's receiving power now. Right. So this clever thing is able to run in parallel with existing power. Oh, it would have to be, yeah. So this would be for, like, law enforcement. They come into your house. Uh, they think Precisely. something's going on in your computer. You, it's running, and you logged in, so whole disk encryption is now, everything's unlocked, but they obviously can't reboot or they'll never get into it. So somehow... They have to keep it exactly powered up and take it back to the station. They also need to keep the screensaver from activating or the machine going into standby. So they have a little USB dongle called the mouse wiggler. (laughs) And it said it just just generates little mouse move (laughs) messages. I love it. So they plug this thing into a USB port. And the mouse starts jiggling around on the screen. Now, the the thing that the reason that caught my eye is that uh, I was asked oh, a couple of years ago um, to be part of an advisory panel for um, an FBI effort to build a lab on the West Coast. They wanted to do a big forensics lab, and they wanted it to have all the stuff it needed. And and in some of the meetings that I attended, they were explaining the you know here are the problems that we have. And one of the problems that they mean they really they really do have is you know they get a warrant for some company's hardware that you know computers that they believe there's bad stuff on, and you know if the people if they turn the computers off they and there's there's active encryption on the system they can't get back in, and so this is like this is really a problem that they have. So this gadget. Not only does it have the little USB mouse wiggler, but it's it's like a UPS, but it's one where the 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 power comes out of the AC outlet. So they give two examples. One is where they say, well, you know, many computers are plugged into an outlet strip. Right. So you plug this this backup power supply in you it, with a male with a male plug. Oh. You plug it into the power strip along with the computer. So this is kind of a feature of a power strip. It's all, I guess, it's in serial, and you could just p- apply power to any plug socket. Sure, they're all all the power strip connectors are just in parallel. So you plug it into the power parallel. strip. Okay. You plug it into the power strip, then you unplug the power strip from the wall. Right, because it's now getting power. It is now exactly. So the power is feeding into one connector of the power strip, and it's clever. Out to the computer or if the computer's plugged directly into the wall and on their site they show a little picture of this you if there's anything else plug you know all wall outlets have like two connect two right. two plugs so you you unplug the lamp or whatever is plugged in there with it you plug their box into the other dual outlet then unscrew it pull it out and snip the wires 
Wow. So now you've got their backup unit running, you know, just routed through this little two outlet plug back to the computer. They call this their outlet seizure method. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think it's, it's very clever. It's, you know, they've got the mouse wiggler to keep the machine alive. And so, and you should have to have a license to buy this stuff. (laughs) I mean, really? Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 diabolical, yeah. and it would prevent you from, you know, it, it would it, basically they don't know if the computer shuts down that they're going to all lose all access to it, but they do know that it's alive and running right yeah, why now. Why take a chance? I can see the stuff now, so let's uh, yep. let's snag it. Yep, I wouldn't be all surprised if there's a if there's a large order from the FBI coming their oh, way. Oh yeah. I do know that the FBI, from our conversations, I mean, this is a problem that they've they got, to and solve. this would solve it. Yeah. I just thought it was very clever. I knew our listeners would get a kick oh, out I of it. Oh, I love it. Tech, or we, yeah, Weebatech, Weebatech. They have the videos uh, just demonstrating the whole thing on the side. I was just looking at them. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it actually works. <laughs> Let's move on. Question number three from Tom Eoflin. Eoflin. Tom Eoflin. <laughs> From Karlstad, Sweden. He has a password manager for my mom. Actually, it wasn't my mom that had the problem, but uh, okay, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll use it. Uh, a, a, a generic mom. A ge- any, or me. Certainly How about my me? mom? Ma- yeah. Ma- yeah. yeah. Mom. Hi, Steve. Leo mentioned a couple of Security Now episodes ago. He didn't think his mom would use any of the password managers out there, but there is one that is just as simple as Notepad. All right, I think anybody can figure that out. But uh, secure. The application is called LockNote. It's made by Steganos. It's a text editor slash notepad and encrypted text document in one. Wow. It's a portable application. No need for installation. You can run it right off a USB stick. It's only 312 kilobits, uh, kilobytes in size. And since you only store text in it, eh, it's not going to grow that much even with tons of passwords in it. It is open source. It's on SourceForge for the paranoid. You can get it from Steganos, S-T-E-G-A-N-O-S dot com. It says you cannot have multiple documents in one instance of LockNote, but you can easily copy the application and have multiple versions with different passwords if you want. Simple application like this probably can run in multiple instances on uh, on Windows. Um, just a thought as I pass this along, I've used this in combination with SuperGenPass, which I've recommended, for a long time now, I even have a LockNote version for gift ideas to my friends. So they, so it doesn't have to just be passwords. You can lock up anything in here. You have mentioned on the show that when someone passes away, it can be hard to end that person's accounts on all the sites he or she may have been registered on. Well, an envelope with your LockNote password and the location of the file solves that. Put that in a security safe deposit box or something. He says, I'm no, ma- no way affiliated with the makers of LockNote. Just a fan. Love the podcast. You should make it twice a week. <laughs> Uh, Tom in Sweden. What do you think? Have you looked at it? I have, and the reason I posted this was I'm I'm impressed. The I've, it's a good idea. I've got the source, and I'm going to take a look at it because they don't talk at all about what they're doing, and I want to make sure that what they're doing makes sense. But what this is is just an exe. You when you download it, and if you go to steganos s t e g a n o s dot com. On, it took me a little while to find it, but on the left-hand column under free stuff, there's like four free things. The other ones aren't very compelling, but this one was um, called LockNote. Um, you just download it, and that's it. It's 
there's no setup. There's no install. I mean, I like everything about this so far. It's it, what it is is it's just like a Notepad app. It, in fact, it looks it looks it looks exactly like the Windows Notepad. And what's cool is that is that you can cut and copy and paste, and it acts in every way like Notepad. Then you can assign a password to it. Now, as far as I could tell, it makes no attempt to make sure you use a good password. I, I just put nuts in, N-U-T-S, and it loved it. So it's like, okay, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's not a super good password. I could have probably put R in, and it would have been happy. Um, but what's nice is that it binds the text and the password into itself, into the exe. So you, you never have a separate out, you know, separate text file. It's just this exe. And as he says, I mean, I'm, I'm a little thinking, okay, 312K, that's huge. But, you know, that's just my bias because, you know, if it were an assembler, it'd be much smaller. But, but it's, it is, it's neat because you then, uh, uh, under the file menu, you can change the password. And the only way you can, you can, Change the password as if you know the password because if you try to run it when there is a password, it just says what's the password. And so, I mean, it's very clean. It it for me, I know as I mentioned before, I've just got this one big list of of URLs and usernames and passwords that I keep in my Palm Pilot. Well, I could easily just cut and copy and paste that into this, give it a really good strong password because the vulnerability would be you know guessing the password so you want to make sure that it's not guessable um and it uh, but it, it just I, I love it because it is so clean it is so simple there's nothing to learn no ui no fanciness it's not trying to do more than just just locking up a text file which it, it which is and it and the password are in some fashion bundled to itself now again these guys Clearly no security. They've got a bunch of security stuff on their site. So I'm assuming they're doing everything correct with the password. That is, they're not, you know, they're not including the password in the exe. Instead, they're hashing the password or encrypting it or doing something. Anyway, I've got the source. Well, here, here's a perfect example. We were talking at the top of the show why open source can be useful. Frankly, if they told me on their site, this is exactly what we're doing. Yeah, I believe that because they've disclosed it and they have no reason to lie to me. But they didn't tell me anything about what they're doing. So the good news is I can answer those questions yeah. by looking at the source. You can validate it, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I will, well, there's nothing to validate because they didn't say anything. Right. But I want to know that for myself what they're doing and I will next week tell all of our listeners exactly what they're doing from my having looked at the source and be able to say, okay, here's how it, here's exactly what they're doing and they did it all right. So anyway, it's very cool. I wanted to tell our Windows users, unfortunately, there's no Mac version, although it's open source. Again, it's not a, it's not a, a super brilliant, hard to reproduce concept, but it's just done and it's just, it's very nice. I, I, I like how clean it is and, and, and it's a cool little gizmo. Very, very neat. Question four, a long one. Get ready. Stand back. Jim in California in the Bay Area has some um, real-world feedback about what? 
Web of Trust. We talked about that, I think, a couple episodes ago. Yep, a browser add-on. Steve, first of all, let me say I've been a fan of yours for many years. The security information you post on GRC.com is invaluable. I've been a regular user of Shields Up for years. I'm also a very happy owner of Spinrite, which is an essential tool for my computer work. It's fantastic. Now, I recently discovered Security Now. Wow. I had no idea you were on the air, and I'm thrilled. Now I'm listening nearly nonstop to previous and weekly podcasts and passing it on to my other geek friends. This is a big thing for me, is I don't understand how we, people could be in the tech industry and not know that Twitter exists, but they do. They are. Uh, it's people like you and Leo that really make the world a better place as your help to others is priceless. Thank you. Spread the word. Let them know. What I'm running to you about is a point regarding web of trust. There's a bad shortcoming regarding Watt. I started using it and recommending it about a year or more ago. So he was ahead of us on this one. What I found was that undeserving sites were being blacklisted, that is approved in Watt. These sites were listed as having malware, adult content, etc. Oh, I'm sorry. Blacklisted means bad. They're bad. Okay. Right. So they're undeserving sites that are fine were listed as being not so fine. I knew nothing could be further from the truth. These sites were totally safe and helpful. On emailing Watt about this, I was informed that Watt does not moderate the ratings. How it works is when a user finds what he or she believes to be a bad site, they simply tag it as bad. What category of problem occurred in comments? Yeah, that's a, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a problem in a lot of things. Black, uh, email black holing uh, with maps and orbs and that kind of thing. Yep. There's no appeal process. There needs to be some way of aggregating the information and kind of validating it. Seems some users may think they got infected from a certain site, but due to the nature of clickjacking or maybe cross-site scripting, it may not have been from that site at all. Possibly not even during that session. We all know that users don't often don't know what happened or why. Uh, further, when some internet griefers, what what some internet griefers are doing is using it to launch political or social or other attacks on websites by using Watt to blacklist that site. Any user who uses Watt will see a warning page when they attempt to go to the actually benign site. This warning is a full page and will certainly scare off any new visitors. Better safe than sorry. Consequently, as you might imagine, I've stopped using Watt and stopped advising its use to others as it forwards malicious users' efforts to deny service to legitimate websites. That's a shame. Web of Trust is a neat idea, but unfortunately, it really needs trust <laughs> or at least modifiers <laughs> and, and verifiers an expensive proposition perhaps watt has corrected this problem in some way it's been over a year since i conversed with them as always there are people in the world who use technology to harm rather than help they need to follow the examples of steve and leah that's a shame but that uh, that's a very good point and it's not surprising i mean that that the, the concern was that their threshold for blacklisting a site would be very low and you could argue that if they don't have a huge user base then they're not going to have an opportunity to receive a a large consensus on a site being bad in fact it sounds to me like you know any user saying oh i got hurt by this site suddenly makes it questionable right now it'd be nice if they like published how many people agreed or if there was you know that's what they need they need disagree, yeah. some aggregation know. or something yeah yeah and, and but, but he's right as, as it is now it sounds like they're you know it's just unfortunately he's right that it would cost 
a huge amount of money for them to go around verifying everything, which, frankly, when we were discussing this, I was saying that I liked the idea that Google's bots were doing this because, you know, they've got no cross to bear. They're looking at all the code. They're able to be kept up to date with the latest exploits and see whether they see evidence of those exploits on the sites that the bots visit right. in their normal, you know, web visiting that as they spider around the web. So, yeah, to me, I think that does make more sense than than this kind of an aggregation approach. Alas, it's true. Yep. Matthew Justice in Austin, Texas, a good place for justice, wonders about Google DNS server. Steve, just in case you did not see this, is actually you we happened since we talked last. This is brand new. Yes. Google is now doing its open DNS kind of a thing. It's a public DNS server, 8.8.8.8. He says, you might want to run it through your new DNS benchmark tool. Uh, and when might we be, the world be able to play with this? Love your show. Thank you, Matthew. So um, you have a tester. When this bind uh, flaw was uh, first publicized, you, you figured out a way to test, right? Well, actually, it's different than that. Oh, okay. um, if you, you, you I'll, it'll pop your eyes out of your head, Leo. But if you go to grc.com slash DNS slash benchmark, dot htm okay you'll see just a screenshot of it and it's uh, i've um this is what i spent a large chunk of the year working on it's gorgeous um and i just need to finish its documentation well let's see it we want it <laughs> we'll have it soon so many people wrote about google's new dns service so this just tests the speed not uh its security because and the, that's right true. We, yeah we the showed spoof, another program that tested the security the spoofability right. system is tied to this and in fact i got onto this because i wanted to to launch them both around the same time so so this is performance wow, as opposed this, to security this is great Oh, it's phenomenal. It's, I Look mean, it's... <laughs> Steve, wow. It's a real piece of work. Now, you can't download it yet, or can you? No, it's it's there. It's oh, downloadable. Just click on it, and it's tiny. 175K. Uh, I downloaded it faster than my mouse could click it, practically. Yeah, and it's oh. all assembler, and, you know, it works. Um, I'm glad that Google did this, because I will... I'll add Google's servers to it. I've seen a couple postings... From people who have used it already, and Google's benchmarking a little slower than OpenDNS, huh. um, and and this thing even tells you if it if if like OpenDNS is in its default configuration, if it redirects uh, mistakes. Google to, does not do that, and Google does not do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, which surprised me because if anybody would want to put some stick some advertising in there, I would have thought. It would be Google. And do you know, I have not, I've, I've been so preoccupied trying to get this, you know, get ready to get this finished that I have not yet looked in, de- in depth at Google's DNS offering. Um, have, you got, have you done a show on it yet? Yeah, we or, talked about or, it on This Week in Google, and I have certainly used it. Uh, so and, what's Google's motivation? Well, who, you know, they don't disclose their motivation. They say, well, we just, you know, we want to improve the net experience on the net because the more you use, and actually this is probably true, the more you use the net, the more... Uh, the happier we are, right? That makes yeah. sense. Um, now, the problem is there is OpenDNS already. And frankly, uh, OpenDNS, I think, has some significantly uh, better features, things like filtering and so forth. But, um, you know, the nice thing about Google, it's easy to remember. It's 8.8.8.8. And I can't remember the other one. was. The other one is 8.8.4.4. So very simple, very easy yep. to remember. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's good to have another one out there. I don't, I don't think there's anything. I can't see anything wrong with it. 
Yeah, well, we'll know soon how its performance compares. And ultimately, I, I think that's the way it will win with a tool like this that makes it easy for you to see how from from your location what is the what is the fastest server which is really what you want to know that's why i just you know no one can say oh open dns is faster well you might live next door to google's dns server in which case it's right. going to be a lot faster right so i'm adding 8.8.8.8 and uh so how i just would click to to run it or how would yeah. i uh run benchmark okay Oh, I have to right-click it? Uh, I'm not too bright when it comes to this. I see the you, red button. Now what do you, I do? You can click on the big GRC G logo if you want. That'll start it up. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's testing them all now. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, um, all right, cool. So, yeah, Google is, Google is sinking to the bottom at, the, at this point, so... Yeah, and it may be that they're you know that they've said okay we're launching this and over time we're going to install more yeah, servers. You, they've got plenty of bandwidth, right? Yeah, we we can imagine if they wanted to give OpenDNS a run for their money, they'd be able to. You know, Verizon's is very fast. The four dot. Yes. Um, huh. Yeah, Google's way down on the list. Not not way 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 down, but 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 lower than some of the other ones. Uh, interesting, interesting. So this continues to run. Until it finishes, the, you'll see a little progress bar there at, at the top, I which see, is moving yeah. along. Yeah, oh, that's neat. And it shows cached, uncached, and .com. Those three different bars are showing you different things. And then if any little red marks appear on the, on the left, that's uh, reliability problems because it's looking for any loss of reliability. Got it. On, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of technology here. It's what I, as I said, it's what I've been working on. I've talked about it a number of times. That's neat. And we will, uh, we'll do a show on benchmarking DNS as soon as I get all the documentation finished. He's saying in the chat room, uh, Leo, you might want to click the giant run benchmark button. <laughs> I'm not that bright. Uh, sorry. Let's move on. Uh, question. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a good choice. I use OpenDNS. Now, OpenDNS does do the thing that you may not like and others may not like, which is if you do a bogus, uh, you know, a non-existent search, it pops up a helpful page with some advertising on it that says, you know, did you mean this? Um I well, doesn't, and, that and doesn't fact, bother me. Other other people are beginning to do it too. Other ISPs, like Comcast, I, be, I believe, is doing that. You'll you'll see that if the you, you'll see that OpenDNS is shown in in orange in the benchmark. I detect that for any DNS server, ah. and so I alert people that this is what's going on. And uh, on this on the summary page, once the benchmark is finished, I actually. Uh, interpret everything that has happened and compare your DNS servers that you currently are using to everything we just learned about all the other alternatives and and advise whether there's I actually compute whether there's a statistical statistically significant improvement that you could make by making some changes. So um, anyway, top like four said, on my my results uh, are orange and. Uh, Numbers uh, two and three are OpenDNS, which is usually what I use. I like OpenDNS because yeah. I can say, uh, I can use the filtering in my uh, for my kids and stuff well, like and, that. And if you become a subscriber, you can turn off the redirection. Right. So it's not like you're free. Stuck. Yeah. It's not like you have to pay for anything. Yeah. I, I use the redirection because, first of all, I like it and I don't want to, I want to support them. Yes. It's all for free. Uh, question six comes from Lex Thomas in Research Triangle Park. Beautiful North Carolina. He wonders about router DNS. It's a little different. 
I've been reading about Google's new free DNS project. We just talked about that a few years ago. For a brief time, I used OpenDNS, liked it a lot. But after an unfortunate and unrelated incident, I had to restore my PC, which caused me to lose my OpenDNS settings. I put mine in the router. I think that's what he's about to say. Huh. After that, I just never got around to putting OpenDNS back in. I, you know, I just defaulted to using what the ISP sent down the pipe. I suppose I should have set up my router instead to point to OpenDNS rather than doing it in Windows. Since I'd probably want every computer on the network to use this alternate DNS anyway. I haven't made up my mind about Google's DNS yet. But there are, are there any advantages or disadvantages to using the DNS lookup in the router as opposed to the operating system? Thanks for a great show. Been a fan for years. Yeah, I've been using it in... I use it in my router at home because that way my kids, you know, unless, they know, unless they're smart enough to bypass it or motivated to bypass it, which apparently they are not at this point... Um, you know, it's it, any, any any computer they use it has the same filtering on it. Well, we've learned some interesting things through not only through the work on the DNS benchmark. We, meaning myself and all of the people in the GRC.DNS news group, where we've had you know actively been working on this and on the spoofability tester before. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is that there's a growing list of routers that the that the spoofability test crashes. And it's, as we know, crashes, well, exploits start out as crashes. And then people figure out exactly what it was and how that the router is crashing. And they turn them into remote code execution. And so there's the possibility that there are a a surprising number of routers that you can give them a specially formed DNS response and take over the router. So we're a little concerned about that. Um, so I, I, I discussed that on the spoofability uh, uh, system pages. The other concern I have is that, that typical consumer routers are not very smart. You know, they're, they're made to be very inexpensive so that they're profitable for the people making them. And doing DNS lookup correctly is sort of tricky you want to remember what the fastest configured DNS server is, and you want to give it a chance to reply. But if it doesn't reply, then you want to ask it again. And if it still doesn't, then you want to ask all your second and you know secondary, tertiary, and so forth servers. And the the fact is, you know, this is the logic that Unix and, and Mac and and Windows uses that is when they, when when all these oss are given multiple dns servers they use them intelligently and in a way that overall maximizes performance the problem is that if you have if you remoted your dns to the router now it's sort of your proxy and so your computers all just get one dns address meaning the router and are at the mercy of the router doing the right thing. It's certainly possible for a smart router to to be doing, you know, a good job with DNS resolution and be passing that back to the clients that are that are using it to, to provide that service. But the fact that we've seen flaky router operation and and in fact, the DNS benchmark has revealed that some routers are much slower than going direct. That is, the router is actually a speed problem 
for for that. And so, for example, you give your your you use using the benchmark. You leave the router registered, and you'll end up finding that, for example, going directly to Open DNS is faster than using your you know like often one nine two dot one six eight dot zero dot one for example because t- typically your DNS will be the same as your gateway which is the IP that the the router has inside your network. So we've also seen, thanks to this benchmark, that using the router is slower than manually configuring DNS and just bypassing it completely. So, um, you know, your mileage may vary. Once once the benchmark is finished and public, people will be able to see for themselves. Um, Certainly, Lex is right. Putting those settings, sort of making them global, for your whole network exactly as you've done at home, Leo, can make sense because then every system gets the benefit of, you know, making a single configuration change. Right. And you can override it because if you override the um, the DNS numbers in a, in any individual machine, it'll override it. And so, exactly. Yeah. Instead of just saying obtain DNS automatically, right. you just manually put those in. And Don't tell my kids that. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, actually, what I do is I lock down the uh, the settings and they need an administrator password to change the network yep. settings. So yep. it's, it's it's actually so much more effective, I think, than any filtering solution out there. It just seems like that's the no-brainer for any parent. Yep. Uh, you- so so switch to OpenDNS and then config, go, go to your OpenDNS configuration page right. and, and remove the kinds of sites that you don't want. But it has built in. You can just say, you know, I mean, it has a whole list, but it has pretty good filtering. You can say, you know, just keep this safe. And uh, but you have to create an account. It's free, though. That's the advantage. Yeah. Uh, Let's we have two Disney questions, including our uh, Disney biometric authentication question of the week. (laughs) Uh, Solution, not even question. Solution of the week. And I want to get to those in a second. Before we do, though, let's talk about Ford Sync. It's the technology that uh, I'm using in my car. In fact, before with the show, I gave Steve a little video demonstration. I've really got to do this for everybody so you can see Ford Sync at work. It's so cool. Uh, when I get in my car, uh, the Sync sees my uh, my uh, phone my by a Bluetooth. And by the way, you can have, I think, up to 12 phones. There's the primary, but you, all the other phones are visible. And if the primary is not there, it goes to the next phone and the next phone down. It'll play audio off of my phone. So it immediately starts picking up uh, on the moat in God's eye, which I'm listening to now. But let's say I want to listen to something else. I press the sync button. I say audio. I say sync. And then I say play security now uh, 223. And I can start listening. I can say, uh, I love this traffic link and get movie times, fuel prices, weather, five-day forecasts. I can say destination and, it'll, and give it an address. All by dictation. You never take your hands off your wheel or the eyes off the road. And that's what I really like about this. It is far superior to anything else out there. No wonder. This just came out this week. J.D. Power gave Ford Sync its number one uh, in in auto uh, GPS uh, system uh, for customer satisfaction this year. No surprise to me. I've been using it and I love it. I want you to take a look. Go to SyncMyRidePodcast.com. You can look learn a lot more about it. But you should also um, go to a Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury dealer and do a little test drive because uh, that's really the best way to get a sense of what Sync can do for you. In that 2010 Lincoln MKS, in uh, that my Mustang, it's just, it is just amazing. J.D. Power releases sat-nav study findings, crowns, Ford, tops. 
It ranks number one and number two, <laughs> actually. Number one in the, the Lincoln MKS system, number two in the Ford Flex. It's the same system. It's Ford Sync. It is incredible. In fact, according to this article in Autoblog, uh, to anyone that's driven a modern Sync-equipped Ford with navigation, these survey results won't come as any sort of shock. Ford has been making some of the best systems in the business ever since they released Sync with Sirius Travel Link. I'm not saying it. That's the Autoblog. That's J.D. Power. That's users. I'm telling you, this stuff is great. Go try it right now at your favorite Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury vehicle dealer. Tell them Leo sent you. They'll go, who? And uh, <laughs> you don't, no discounts. I didn't get a dis- no discounts. Just go and visit or visit SyncMyRidePodcast.com. We thank Ford so much for their faith in podcasts and their faith in security now. I can't tell you, Steve, you know, ever since we started doing this, you know, we started with sponsors like Astaro, you know, tech sponsors and Citrix and Audible. And nothing, I'm not knocking them, but to get a, a company like Ford, a general company like Ford to yeah. support podcasts is, uh, I, in my opinion, a breakthrough. I really think it's huge. So thank you, Ford, for your, uh, for your belief in what we're doing here. Steve, are you ready for our Disney authentication <laughs> questions of the week? Starting with question seven, Daniel Ernst from West Bloomfield, Michigan, U.S. of A. His Disney fingerprint story. I'm a week behind, just finished 224. Thought I'd mention my experience with fingerprints at Disney. My family went to the Disney parks in Florida last year and encountered the fingerprint scanners. I've been guarding my fingerprints for as long as I can remember, going back to an FBI tour in the 70s. That's neat. He wised up in the 70s and not volunteering to have my fingerprints taken. I'm sure I would have balked at giving them up at Disney had I been surprised by it, but being a Security Now listener, I was well prepared. I didn't even try the knuckle thing. I waved over a gatekeeper and explained I'm a privacy advocate. This is what people should do. Yes. Instead of trying to uh, fake it, let them know. Because if, they, if enough people complain, they go, oh, I guess this, we can't use this system. Um, I waved over a gatekeeper, explained I'm a privacy advocate. Nice way to put it. I'm sure he did this nicely. Refused to give up my family's fingerprints. This is interesting. The employee wasn't surprised, told us the alternative is to show photo ID each time we use our passes. We had our IDs out the next few days at the entry gates, and without a hiccup, we were let in each time almost as quickly as those giving their fingers. So no need to fool them. Let them know you'll take the alternative. If enough people do, maybe they'll get the message. That's great. I love that. I thought that was a, a really good bit of news. I did uh, a bunch of people, as you know, as you apparently independently experienced, Leo, have been talking about this and Disney. And I saw, I found an article that talked about Disney's policy where they say that they are deliberately keeping this biometric data separate, that they're not recording a fingerprint at the resolution that is enough data points so that it could even be used for recognition. It could only be used as a go, no go sort of verification. So only a few aspects of the, of the fingerprint are being maintained and they flush them after the pass, which is associated with it has been expired by more than a month or something like that. So even independent of all this, it does sound like they, Disney, at least, was always conscious of these issues, which is really nice to hear. Of course, that doesn't tell us anything about anybody else's fingerprint policies. So everything we've said about, you know, banks needing you to use your fingerprint in order to cash a check and so forth likely still applies. But at least in the case of Disney, it sounds like they've been acting responsibly. Yeah. 
And here we go with uh, our brilliant Disneyland authentication solution of the week. And this comes from another Swede. Uh, you know, we have a lot of Swedish listeners. And just a tip of the hat, um, it's really great to have li- all these listeners all over the world. I love it. And uh, Tom Affloen uh, from Karlstad, Sweden, says, Hi, Steve. You and Leo sometimes talk about the problem with companies wanting to have your fingerprint. I think it's going to be harder and harder to resist this. By the way, if you, if you are a Swedish citizen, you come to the U.S., you get fingerprinted. And you sometimes get iris scanned as well. And with nagging kids behind you and a stubborn Disneyland employee in front of you, the slightest obvious knuckle solution might not always work. So why not dedicate a finger? Save your index fingers for personal use. Use your pinkies as a personal backup in case you injure your index fingers. Let's say use, I don't know, what's left, your middle finger for external companies. (laughs) I can't wait until I can hold up my middle finger, my palm facing me at the Disneyland reader, and uh, pressing it down there. There's no correlation between the fingerprints on your different fingers, right? I mean, if they have my middle finger, it doesn't mean they can figure out what my index finger is. Love the show, Tom in Sweden. What a great... Does that mean the same thing in Sweden as it means uh, in the U.S.? I don't know. Apparently, Apparently it does. So. And I just... But I loved the idea. I don't know why. I mean, it's so simple. You know, yeah. we've, we've got 10. We've got 10. And, 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 and he's right. There's no correlation of fingerprints from one to the other. So if it's not like your DNA where they can say, oh, look, this is the father of somebody right. because they're able to see that it's a close match. And so... By all means, you know, if, you know, use your middle finger for the bank that insists that you, that, you know, they have a fingerprint and, uh, and you may need to conceal which finger you're using. But if you can get away with it, I think that makes a lot of sense. I just, I thought that was very simple and very clever. You know, some of the good ideas are. Thank God, man, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. Now, I've, I've completed the uh, benchmark here from the DNS benchmark and, uh, yeah, the the, uh, the the Google. I see the level three is uh, is very high up there. Um, Google is you know fairly far down, not at the bottom of the list in the top twenty, uh, but by far, uh, Open DNS is the fastest. I don't know what this one fifty six, one fifty four, seventy. You can click one of the tabs. The other tabs will identify huh. by by name. New and- star. Huh. I don't know who any U S T A R. And Sounds they're like pretty high on your German. list. They're number one on my list. Oh, interesting. Look at that. Incredible response. Don't look at their cash time is almost zero. Their purple bar. That's interesting. interesting. So they it must be. See, that, that, that's one of the things that's so interesting about this is, you know, DNS performance is absolutely a function of where you are. Right. So it must be that if you're using your fancy Ethernet T1 or no super super connection, that for whatever reason, wherever that terminates is got, you know, very short response time to to that particular server. Here's an interesting uh, tidbit. The highest ranked uh DNS server that does not replace, you know, the 404 page is NTT. That's the Japanese that's Telecom. No, I think it's NTT Docomo, isn't it? America uh-huh. Technical Operations. Then Speakeasy, New Star again, then Level 3. Somebody's saying in the chat room that Google uses Level 3, so their connectivity might be coming through Level 3. Then Sprint. Speakeasy is very big on there. The Planet. Uh, Time Warner. It's interesting. So Comcast, Verizon, and then Google way down on that list. It's a cool little app, isn't it? Oh, I love this. (laughs) Steve, 
I wish more people knew about this. We got to. Well, everyone will know as soon as I get the documentation finished. Plug this more. Oh, wait a minute. I'm seeing Google. It's it's announcing itself. It is above uh, some of those others. Uh, as at level three communications, not as Google eight dot eight dot eight dot eight. So I wonder if they're just using level three's uh, DNS server and branding at Google. And click on the um, recommendations. Is that what it is? No uh, conclusions. Conclusions. And it, it turns everything into English so that people who aren't super gurus can just sort of quickly scan through, and it highlights important things that it found. It's interesting, because sort of, we're, we're using, it says there's only one DNS in here, and it's our local router's DNS. So it knows that, right? Yeah. But I, but I think that that's because these are, this is Skyposaurus, which with DNS is not important to Skyposaurus, right. particularly. System name server is slower than three public alternatives. This is great. Look at this, Steve. <laughs> You're brilliant. Well, this is a big piece of work, but it's... Uh, it was I a can't label. believe this. And this is free. Yeah. GRC.com slash DNS slash benchmark. You can get it right now. It's a tiny download. You'll think you didn't really get it. When you click on it, it's like, wait a minute, I must have missed that. So like five copies. <laughs> it's just, it was so fast. Steve writes everything in assembler. This is what's so great about Steve. Look, you can if you go to grc.com, buy Spinrite just to say thank you, Steve. And, and by the way, it's a great thing to have. Everybody who has hard drives needs Spinrite. It's the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. But there's so much great free stuff there, like this benchmarker. And, uh, and of course, the show is there, including 16 kilobit versions. Steve makes those himself. We stopped making them, so Steve said, nope, going to make them, going to have them. Thank you, Steve. He also does uh, pays for transcriptions himself. He takes his stuff really seriously, so give him your support because he uh, works very hard for us. GRC.com. Do you know what we're doing next week? Maybe we're answering that question about uh, ARP, uh, ARP spoofing and, and random data. I don't know. We're, we're definitely, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come clean and say that I got myself tangled up on, on the last Q&A and, uh, and I'll have a complete, thorough, clear answer. <laughs> Good. And, and all the security news and more every week yep. with Steve right here. You can watch us do the show live on Wednesdays. We do it at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific every Wednesday, unless uh, there's a schedule change. But you'll find the schedule in our calendar and the live video at live, L-I-V-E dot twit, T-W-I-T dot uh, TV. And some really interesting changes uh, coming to uh, our websites soon that's going to make it easier for you to see what you want, including video of all our shows and this one as well. Um, so people who have been wanting to see Steve's smiling face as he saves the world can do that. It's all at twit.tv and live.twit.tv for the live streaming. Steam, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Thanks, Leo. You too. Security now.